I am so thankful to our worship and arts team for the work that they put in each week. Um, right now, our worship and arts pastor, Danny, is on sabbatical, and many of the team members have stepped up over the last few weeks to lead us, and uh, they practice during the week. They do a bunch of planning and prayer uh, just to be able to lead us in worship. Can we say thank you to our team? So we're in the middle of a series called Groundwork, which we're looking at some of the core values of our church family and exploring the text that those are derived from. On your way in, you should have received a, a handout that looks like this. If you do not have a handout, just raise up your hand, throw them up in the air, and wave them around like you just don't care. And one of our hosts will uh, get that to you. Inside of the handout is... Uh, the text for today, one of the reasons why we are printing it out each week for you all is so you can mark it up and make notes. Uh, you can see that uh, I actually did all my sermon prep on this one, and so I'm going to preach from that as well as a couple other notes, uh, to be fair. And so uh, our hope is, is that for those of you that are part of the DSBC family, um, that you would have a deeper understanding of uh, how it is that we're wired and where that uh, comes from, where that value comes from. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. For those of you who are watching online, we have our uh, digital version of our study guide available. Uh, if you go to dsbc.church, on the front page of the website, you'll see a groundwork link, and there's a button you can press there to find all five of our study guides. And today, uh, we're on the third one, and we are looking at the one with the heart on it. And it reads as follows, that as a church family, we seek to live generously using our time, skills, and resources to bless and serve our community and to live as the hands and feet of Jesus. Now, for many of us, when we uh, hear the word generosity, we, we in, kind of instinctively think that we're talking about what? Money. And I think that that's a symptom of the fact that we are drenched in an individualistic, consumer-based, capitalistic culture when we hear generosity, we immediately just go to money. In fact, for many of us, we're clenching up right now because we're afraid that all the pastor wants is our, and that's true, that's very true. I want your money, I want it so bad I can taste it. I, I am not at all averse from uh, taking your money. Now, now, here's one of the beautiful things about Desert Springs and the way that Jesus has wired his church is we have uh, a leadership, we have a board of directors and a council of servant leaders who uh, oversee me and make sure that I don't use uh, this stage or my position to manipulate people or uh, guilt people into giving me their money because there's a high likelihood that I would probably fall into that because I really do uh, think I would spend your money better than you. <laughs> but what we're going to do today is we're actually, we're not going to talk about generosity as it's expressed through the, uh, through the giving of financial resources primarily. What we're going to look at is something more, uh, that, that's actually more global as we think about generosity and also um, something that, that, that ends up coming up more in Scripture, at least in, in my reading. So uh, let's see if we can put on our, our, our global Christian hats as we read through this text and even think through uh, what this m might look like in our day-to-day -day lives. Before I read the text, I want to ask you a question that, I, that was posed to me at a, a global leadership summit, which is a leadership development summit that uh, some of our team uh, participated in with just a few weeks ago. Albert Tate, who's a pastor and author, asked this question, and it shook me to the core. Tate asked the question, what if 2020 was the lesson and now is the test? What if 2020 and all 
all of its trappings, right? All of the chaos, all of the, all of the difficulty, all of the, the gnarly stuff that we've, that frankly, continued to go through to this day. What if all of that is the lesson, not the test? See, for many of us, we, we look at these massive uh, shifts in culture. We look at these massive events that have happened, and, and we, we say, oh, this is difficulty. This is a trial This is a tribulation. This is a test. But what if God used the last season not as the test, but what if it was the lesson and the test is yet to come? What if how we choose to live now is actually the test? Something I've been thinking about since that time, and I think it ties to our our text today because the text that uh, that we're going to read through today in Ephesians chapter 4 talks about our lives and how we're choosing to live our day to day lives as it relates to living generously. And I believe that in this text, we will find that living generously mirrors God, that generosity is an expression of grace, and that generosity grows us. And we're going to go through this quickly because uh, for those who can see in the room here, we have our, our campus is set up a little bit differently today because after we do uh, this remainder of our time together, we're actually going to break out and there's tables all around in our worship center and in our lobby uh, that represent some of the different ministries here at DSBC. Some of our ministry team members will be staffing those tables after the service and they are uh, ready to provide you with information on the different ministry opportunities that are here. There's also uh, information on ministry opportunities that exist outside of our uh, church family with some of our partner ministries that will be in the lobby. I'll give you some more instruction on that uh, as we move forward. And for those of you who are joining us online, uh, you can simply click the Serve button at the top of the online platform, and uh, there's information on many of the different teams that are available uh, to serve on here, some of which are in person and some of which are available to you to do from your home uh, online as well. So Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16, I'm going to go through, and we're just going to notice some different things about the text, and then we will uh, take it home to see how this might be used of God to shape us even today in this moment. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Time out. What's the verb? He's urging that you would what? Think? Pray? What's the word? Walk, right? So so right off the bat, we see that to follow Jesus, to follow the Jesus way requires action. It requires walking. It's not just something that we ponder. It's not just something that we pray over. It's also something that we put into practice with our walk. We're going to walk the way worthy of the calling that you have received. Verse 2, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Time out. If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, this may start sounding really familiar to you, this call to unity, to be long-suffering with one another, to be gracious with one another. In fact, a couple weeks ago, we had a table up here with a bunch of hats on it, talking about how we're a bunch of misfits from all different backgrounds and walks of life and perspectives that are, that are bound together by the love and grace of God made known to us through Jesus. And last week, we talked about how uh, the job of the leadership here is not to indoctrinate you and to convince you to... Uh, to just say whatever we think you should say. Our role is to equip you to, by the power of the Spirit, discern how the Spirit of God is convicting you based on your understanding as we read collectively as a church family. And then when we think about putting that into practice, which is what we're doing today, we recognize that as we practice our faith, as we walk our faith, there may, as we walk our faith with a bunch of people who are different than us, 
We may bump into each other over time. Hmm? Any of this happen to y'all? Which is why you see these consistent calls for unity, the unity of the Spirit, verse 3, unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Verse 4, there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. Did you catch the one language? Just over and over and over again. There's this really interesting thing that Jesus prayed for his church. He prayed that we would be one, as the triune God is one. Now, check this out, verse 7. Now, grace was given. Time out. What was given? Grace. Now, for many of us, that word has become kind of oddly religious. It's got all these religious overtones. But for the original author, whose, whose name was Paul, grace is just gift. Uh, the language in, in the original text is charis. It's gift. It's the gift of God. The gift was given to us. So when we think about grace, we recognize that it's a gift from God. Now, the gift was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So let me ask you this question. Is God a gracious gift giver? Okay, good. You're following me. So, when, so generosity mirrors God's character, right? When we're generous to each other, when we give gifts to each other, it is mirroring the character and the actions of God. You all with me so far? Right? To give gifts. And I don't just mean like presents. I mean to give to one another, to give generously. Our time, our energy, our talent, our resources is to mirror the character of God. And then there's this really kind of interesting part, uh, verse 9. Uh, but what does he, uh, oh, sorry, excuse me. Am I in verse 9? No, I'm on 7. Great, okay, so let's go to 7. For now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 8, for it says, when he ascended on high, now this sounds weird, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and gave gifts to his people. Now, two things. Doesn't that sound weird? Yeah, that sounds weird. Okay, here's what's going on. Do you know when you're at the club? I've seen you guys at the club, right? You guys know when you're at the club? And, and DJ Funky Fresh has some sweet beats on. It's you guys with me? Right? You guys are, okay, so maybe I'm not connecting. Okay, so when you're at the club, and actually you guys should all go to the club for a little biblical study illustration. So you're at the club, DJ Funky Fresh is up there, and then every now and again, they'll just have kind of like some, some, some you know, and then they will play a clip from a song that's popular to what the DJ thinks everyone in the room is going to remember or recognize, right? You're going to hear like, and, and those of us, right, who like good music are going to be like, I know what that is, right? Now, did they play the whole Aerosmith song? No, the DJ just sampled the Aerosmith song in order to cue up into your mind the entirety of Aerosmith's catalog. And you're doing all this in a brief amount of time with just a few words. Now, notice what the author does. The author is a, a DJ Funky Fresh Paul, is going to sample or bring in lyrics from Psalm 68. And he's, his intention, I believe, is to bring in the full weight of that psalm, which is speaking to the generosity and the power of God. You guys with me so far? 
Okay, so a lot of times when you read your Bible, which you should do a lot and definitely with a bunch of people who are not like you so you can argue about it and actually find maturity, hello, when you do that, you will notice that, they're, that the New Testament authors are always doing this. They're doing it more than DJ Funky Fresh down at the club. All the time, they're pulling in previous scripture, uh, which is why I think you should read the entire Bible all the time, a thousand times, and argue about it until you're dead so that you can be wise. Okay. Uh, where, where are we? Verse 9. Okay, verse 9. Great. Okay, so, but what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? Is that weird? Yeah, I, I think it's weird. Um, verse 10, the one who descended also also the one who ascended far above the heavens to fill all things. I think what the author's doing here, I think the author is just riffing on and giving you kind of a, an illustrated version of the death, the incarnation, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That namely that, that Jesus, God, uh, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, took on flesh and descended and even descended into the grave and then did what on Easter? Ascended. Do you see what the author's doing here? He's kind of giving you a visual illustration that, you know what Jesus did? We're going to talk about the good gifts of God and how, how God has given even himself, that he's descended and then ascended because he's powerful, which ties to Psalm 68. Uh, verse 11, and he himself gave. Here's that giving language again. He himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So these are different uh, roles, at least in, in the author's view, these are different roles uh, within a local church or a local church community within a local city or region. And he says, God gives these people, he gives them as gifts to each other. So I would just want to press pause here for a minute. If you're part of DSBC, and I know this is going to sound weird, but we'll get over it together, okay? If, and I'm going to prove it at the last line of this text, but if you're a part of DSBC, you're a, you're a gift of God to the other people here. We are not passive participants. We're not, this is not a consumeristic uh, enterprise, right? I'm not a performer and you the audience. We're gifts given to each other. Have you ever recognized the fact that God has given the other people a part of your church family as a gift to you? Let me, let me lean in on it, especially the ones who frustrate you. That's a gift. Let's keep going. It got real quiet. got real quiet. Why did God give as a gift these different leaders? Look at verse 12. To equip the saints, that's all the Jesus followers, for what? The work of ministry, or work of service, right? So notice again the physical language, right? We're going to walk according to our calling. We're going to work. Uh, we're going to serve, work in service, the work of the ministry. So God gave these leaders to equip the saints, verse 12, for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Okay, press pause. Number one, living generously mirrors the character of God. Two, generosity is an expression of God's grace. We are, we are gifts to each other. And third, living generously grows us. Now, I get the question a lot in my field, um, 
This may sound like a surprise to you, but sometimes, maybe once or twice, uh, I wrestle with pride and arrogance. Thank you, Jeff, for, for being shocked. I appreciate you feigning surprise. Uh, and, I, I, and unfortunately, I think a lot of people in my position do too. That's not a slam on them. It just kind of goes, I think it goes with the territory. And one of my greatest temptations uh, in my vocation is to view the butts in seats as the marker to my health and validity. So to put it another way, if the crowd is big, I feel big. If the crowd is small, how do I feel? Small. Is there anything uh, that's, <laughs> that, does that sound like Jesus to you? It doesn't sound like Jesus to me either, which is why I'm continually in a place of repentance for that. Um, when I hear language about growing the church, my default temptation is to think, that's right, how do we get more butts in the seats so I can build my brand? Do you think that's what the Apostle Paul has in mind when he writes to the Ephesian church and talks about church growth? No, I think that that's American consumerism that's infected uh, the local church. And we're doing um, as much as we can. I'm, I'm trying to do as much as I can to submit to other leaders to make sure that, that we don't become that. When the Apostle is talking about the growth of the church, notice the metric. It's not butts and seats. It's not budgets, right? The health of the church is not, is not in the amount of people who are in the room. Notice what the marker of a healthy church is. I'm going to read it again, see if you can discern it. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. What is the mark of a healthy church? Two of them. Did you see it? Unity and looking like Jesus. Did you catch it? I'm going to do it one more time. In the American uh, consumeristic, individualistic culture, we can often assume that bigger is always better. That is not the marker of a healthy church, according to my understanding of what Paul is writing here. That the leadership in verse 12 is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So you've got a church that's, that's serving, building up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith. Until, I'm gonna, I'm, let's go, let, you want to go for it? Until Democrats and Republicans can be a part of a church family without it being a big deal. When we can sit across from the table from one another and not view each other with suspicion. When we discover that those political leanings are actually so uh, uh, down the line of the things that we find ourselves doing and caring about that it's not, it's just a joke. Are we there yet? I read y'all's Facebook. That, sound, that sounded like I'm Santa Claus, right? Like I, I see you when you're sleeping and I know when you're awake. If there's, oh, church family, if there is ever a time that our community needs to see the reconciling, peacemaking, unifying work of the gospel across everything that divides us, it's right now. 
I hear a lot of people talk about spreading the good news, but if we're not living the good news, our words will fall on deaf ears as hypocrisy always undermines the spreading of the gospel. So the unity, look at look, reach verse 13, till we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, the second marker of a healthy church, growing into maturity with a stature measured by what? What's the end of verse 13 say? What is the mark of maturity? Jesus. So, our, <clears throat> hello, I hear people say, uh, I'm a mature Christian. And I, I just, I want to say, okay, what's your marker for maturity? If I read Ephesians 4, I don't know that I ever want to use the phrase, I am a mature Christian. Because if I'm understanding Ephesians 4 correctly, the measure of maturity that I'm aiming for is to be like Jesus. And Lord knows I ain't there yet. And the church said, So when do we stop growing? When do we stop repenting? When do we stop asking, Lord, search me and know me. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me to the path of life. When, when do we stop doing that? So our aim to grow together through service and unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, our goal is to grow up and to be more like Jesus. Here is the effect of this. See if this sounds like 2020 to you. Remember, 2020 may not have been the test. It may be the lesson, and the test is now. Verse 14, then we will be no longer, uh, excuse me, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves. Over the last year, have you ever had an experience that made you feel like a little kid in a boat in a storm? And as we mature, as we serve, as we seek and strive and fight for unity, and we put the gifts that God has given us into practice, we become more like Jesus and we become less like a kid on a boat in a storm, tossed around and knocked around by everything that's upsetting and frustrating and confusing and offensive. By every wind of teaching, by human cunningness with cleverness and the techniques of deceit, verse 15, Speaking the truth in love, uh, maybe a, it doesn't quite translate into English, but another way to do this is to, um, it's called truthing, is to be about the truth, living it. Let us grow into every way, into him who is the head, into Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper What? How, does the, how do we collectively grow up as an interwoven community? How do we grow up into the image and likeness of Jesus? What's the last line say? As each of us do what in love? In love by the what? Proper working of each individual part. If you're a part of Desert Springs Church family, According to this text, I would argue that you are a gift by God to this church family, just as the other people here are a gift to you, and through the proper working of your gift, skills, talents, and resources, and the generous living out of those gift, skills, talents, and resources to the ministry, which is another word to say service, to the service of others, 
Not only will they receive a gift that God has for them through you, but as you serve, there's a new gift waiting for you. The more we give, the more we receive. This is the metric of the kingdom of God. He who finds his life loses it, Jesus said. But they who lose their life for my sake will find it. It's the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God that the more that we give of our time, our energy, our talents, and our resources in the service of others, the more gifts that we receive. This is at work constantly in and through our church family. Uh, I'm going to land the plane here with just a few encouragements, and then I'll give you final instructions. Uh, There was a person met Jesus at this church family, didn't know much about the Bible, said, you know, as a grown man, he's like, I don't know much about the Bible. I kind of, uh, you know, learn at a kid's level can I volunteer to teach the kids the Bible? And we were like, yeah, that sounds great. And so he would learn the Bible on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and then on Sunday, teach what he had learned to first and second graders. And he was like, this is great for me because I get to put into, you know, I get to learn it in a way that comes alive for me. And his faith rapidly increased, exponentially more so than the gift that he was giving these first and second graders. There was another uh, 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 person who I, I was talking to years ago, and they, they were just saying, you know, my, my faith is dry. To put it another way, they said, you know, following Jesus is boring. My question to them was, well, how are you using your gifts to serve other people? And they said, I, I'm not really. My encouragement at this time was, put, put your faith into practice. Walk the walk. Like, get out and serve. Like, use your gifts to serve and just see if you don't see sparks starting to fly. And sure enough, they found that it was when that they were putting what they had received in here and in here, when they started putting it into practice as the hands and feet of Jesus, their faith started coming alive. It's not only a gift to others, it's also a gift to us. There's a person I know who um, wasn't sure about what they thought about Jesus, but liked our church family. And this is actually corollary to my story. Uh, and it was through serving and being in proximity to, uh, to Jesus' followers who are serving that they actually found a faith in Jesus. You see, there's always a gift for us when we serve. Uh, still others of us, I know our student ministries, many of whom are in the house, um, this is where you make the noise situation. Did you, did you guys have a good night? Uh, you know what, they're tired. And I'm going to tell you why you're tired. You guys were here till midnight cleaning up last night, right? Yeah, so our student ministries hosted an enormous back-to-school event, and uh, we had hundreds of kids on the campus over there on the lawn, and I was standing there with one of the, the leaders, the adult leaders, the coaches, who was just regaling me with story after story after story of how they have seen God at work in the lives of these students, and it's made their faith come alive. When we give, there's always a gift for us to receive, and there, there's even uh, one of the sweetest ones is there's a woman in, who's connected to our congregation in her 80s, and she's not able to get out as much and isn't able to spend time with kids or, or students or the production team or hospitality team, but, but she does love to pray for people. And so she's committed to praying over people and then writing uh, prayer cards of encouragement and just from her own home, from her own kitchen table, uh, sending those to people who, who've asked for prayer. And it's been such a, a, a crucial ministry as she's able to minister in ways and And there are so many other ways that we get to see God at work. There's uh, one 
Uh, Gail was here in the first service, and, and she, in 2016, 2015 or 16, we did a sermon series that addressed uh, physical assault, uh, sexual assault and abuse. And one of the things we were praying for at the time was we didn't have a ministry connected to our church family uh, that helped people find healing. We, and we said, we don't just want to do a sermon. We want to have uh, communities to come around and to serve. And so we just started praying, Lord, help this to happen. We don't know what to do. And Gail, who was uh, just... just um, I, you know, it felt random, but it certainly wasn't. Gail felt uh, a call in her heart. She filled out a connection card and just said, hey, I, I think God's telling me that we should start amending the soul group here at Desert Springs. And that's where amending the soul at Desert Springs got started. And since that time, there have been many within our church family and community who have gone through that program and found uh, healing in Jesus. The reason I say that is because oftentimes the best, in fact, almost all the time, the best ideas come from the pew, not the pulpit. And all my staff members said, amen, thank you, yes. So, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to break here in just a moment. For those of you who are already serving, I'm going to ask that you would spend time uh, even walking to each of the stations and just praying a prayer of blessing over those stations. And if you have a word of encouragement to give to the ministry team members that are there, I'd encourage you to encourage them. Remember, God gives us his gifts to each other. And whenever we give, there's always a gift waiting for us. And for those of you that are maybe even been praying through, maybe even in this last season, Lord, what, you've, you've prepared me, you've wired me, you've, you've called me, where are you calling me to serve? And, and maybe there's a ministry that's, that the Lord's going to direct you to, or maybe you just need to visit all the different stations. I'd encourage you to do that. Our ministry team members will be available at the tables. Uh, the Worship and Arts Ministry, uh, by the way, will be up here uh, on the stage after I uh, vacate their premises. Uh, there's a bunch in the lobby as well. And so make sure to visit those. And just if the Lord is calling you, fill out that connection card and give it to them. Or you can ask questions. You can come visit and shadow. Uh, we also know that there's a ton of great ministries in the valley in our area uh, to serve with. We have some partner ministries available. Uh, there's a table in the lobby where you can grab that information um, uh, to serve alongside ministries that are outside of our organization. Uh, there's also a table um, called the ministry that doesn't exist yet. And it may well be that God has laid on your heart as a gift to this church family, a ministry that doesn't exist yet. And so if you would just prayerfully write that out, we just left index cards there, make sure you put your contact information and, and drop that in there. We, we are, we're going to commit to praying over that and, and reaching out and having a conversation because, again, a lot of the best ideas come from the, the pews and not the pulpit. And then for some of us that are still trying to figure this, uh, this all out, uh, out in the lobby there's a, a what happens when uh, a, a table or booth that's got some information on what happens when you serve and what happens when you give. I'd encourage you just to take one of those booklets. Uh, otherwise, the different ministries are labeled uh, by the signs that you'll see available. And then for those of you who are joining us online, if you just click that serve button at the top of the uh, online platform or just visit our website at dsbc.church, at the bottom of our website, there's a communications form, and we'd love to help you take whatever next step. We also have some opportunities to serve from your own home digitally, as well as doing things like uh, writing out prayer notes. So I'm going to pray for us, church family. We, I need you to hear me on this. We, are, we do not recruit volunteers. Okay? In fact, that word is a curse word in our office. Because a volunteer, and I, I get that, that that's common language and that's fine, but a volunteer sets up this power dynamic where there's staff and volunteers. And that's not what we're doing here. According to this text, it tells me that the leaders that have been gifted to the local church, their job is to equip, empower, and deploy 
all of the Jesus followers in that congregation to be the ministers to, this, to one another, to this community, to those around the world. That's our role. So we don't have volunteers. We have ministry team members. I know that that sounds kind of funny, but let me tell you something. That power dynamic wrapped up in volunteerism, that's not connected to, to what we find in Scripture. The ownership for this church family and the mission of God in and through Desert Springs does not reside in the staff. It's an us thing. It's the body together, woven together, lifting each other up in love and together growing into Christ-likeness. So I want to encourage you, for your own maturity and because of the gifts that you will bring other people within this church family and within this community, would you prayerfully consider how it is that God is calling you to step in and to serve? So let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we love you and we give you thanks for the many ways you provide for us and bless us. And as we think on and consider how it is that you might be calling us to love and serve one another in this community, would you show us clearly even today that direction and that path that we might walk your way faithfully. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.